right, good morning, everybody. Good morning. How you doing? Uh, yeah, my name is Nate Westfeld. I'm the Crave Arts Pastor here. Uh, and uh, glad to be with you this morning. Thanks for joining us in the room and online as well. And I uh, just really appreciate you sharing your uh, testimony with ESOC. Thank you for doing that. I know you guys are all pumped and had a great time in Denver. So my mom's from Denver, so I've been there plenty of times over my life. Love it. It's beautiful, isn't it? Denver is a beautiful place. And uh, they definitely need Jesus, that's for sure. But so does people in Illinois. Right? There's a lot of people in Illinois that Jesus too. But uh, I tell you what, today I get to continue the parable series. And, um, and Pastor Chase and uh, Pastor Kevin, Pastor Dan, they've all done a great job uh, just leading us in this uh, series. And some while I was on sabbatical and now I'm continuing that on today. And uh, today I get to talk about the parables of uh, Jesus, the workers in the vineyard. And so um, we're going to get into that a little bit. But first I wanted to tell you a story about a company um, that I came across that... Uh, uh, kind of gives us a modern day example of this parable. There's a company on the West Coast in Oregon called Gravity Payments. Um, and they have an interesting story because a couple years ago, back in 2015, the CEO um, was out on a run, a walk with um, one of his employees. And that employee uh, was at the bottom of the pay scale. And what happened is uh, they ended up having a conversation. And that uh, employee talked about the struggles that uh, she was having to uh, make her payments, her apartment, her food, right, pay down college debt, all those things. And so the CEO felt a, a little troubled by this because he was definitely in a different position in his company. And what ended up happening is he came out with this radical plan, right? This radical plan that says, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to raise uh, the base salary for everybody in the company to $70,000. They did some research. They figured out that at $70,000, um, a good family in Oregon and the city there could pay for housing. They could pay down college debt, and they could also um, look to provide for having kids, right? And so he raised that starting wage and capped the top earners at another dollar amount of $275,000, right? So Everybody in the company was pretty excited, right? Especially those at the bottom, because they just got a big bump in, in pay, right? They, they span out over three years, equaled out to about a 20% raise each year. And so they were really happy, right? Most of them were happy. But not everybody was happy. Because there were some individuals who were overperforming some of the other individuals for getting a pay bump, right? And there were individuals who were at the top end of the pay scale who now had to take a pay cut to make this all happen throughout the com company. So we saw in this modern day company something that we see in this parable, right? And what we saw was this. First, that equity theory is real, okay? Equity theory is real, that what happens in our worlds, we're always taking assessment. Let me define this for you. According to equity theory, individuals are constantly calculating a ratio of their inputs, their time, their effort, their skills, their experience, etc., to the outputs the organization gives them, salary, benefits, recognition, security, etc. When the ratio appears equitable to that of their coworkers, the organization runs smoothly. When the comparisons are out of whack, that's when demotivation and strife set in, okay? So that's equity theory, right? That's where we see this imbalance. When everybody um, feels like everybody's doing their part and they're paid equally for their part, there's happiness and there's, there's harmony, right? When we start to things get out of whack, there's disharmony and disunity in the company. So this CEO decided to try to put everybody on the same scale and 
uh, or at least close to the same scale. And for some, he saw uh, a unifying factor. For others, he saw disunity. He got a lot of media buzz about all this. But in the end, it's still to this day, there's a lot of people on both sides saying it's going to fail and some are going to say it's work. It still creates this tension. Now, I think what's funny, though, is, and, and I think this is true for all of us, is that the thing of the matter is that we like things to be fair, don't we? Until it's not fair for us. We like things to be fair until it's not fair for us. I coach baseball with my boys, right? And it's amazing over the years, um, when they were younger and they were in in-house baseball, um, what happened is everybody got a trophy, right? No matter if you <laughs> won or lost, at the end of the season, everybody got a trophy, right? Everybody got a trophy. Now, that's ceased now, right? That's not in play anymore because we realize that everybody is an equal, right? That we have to earn those awards, right? Now, if you're the top team or the second place team, third place team, you might receive something, but the losers are the losers, right? They don't get anything, right? So it's amazing how the scales tip, right? And back and forth, back and forth. But I do have to say that I do see, being a coach, that the parents do weigh fairness very heavily, right? And that's okay. We all do it. I'm guilty of it, right? We all do it. My kid deserves to play. Right? Because he's your top shortstop. Or he's your top first man. Is he? Really? <laughs> really? Is he really? I don't know. Maybe. In your eyes, yes. He is the greatest thing since popcorn. In my eyes, maybe not. Right? But we see that tension even in the games that we, we play. Right? No matter what, it's in band or baseball or football or work. We see these tensions play out throughout it. We see this unfairness. Because we're always trying to make things or at least keep things equitable in our minds. It's not how God's kingdom works, right? Um, there's, in one way it does, in his grace it works. But in other ways, as we look at it, it doesn't. And that's okay. But before we get there, let's bow our heads and pray. Dear God, we just thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. You are a good and amazing God and I love you. Thank you for the gift you give us, Lord. And as we get into your word today, as we study, and as we look um, to this parable, God, help us to see your truth and help us to see um, what you are communicating to the disciples and, God, what you're communicating, communicating to us today. God, we give you all the praise and thanks. Amen. Amen. But here's where I want to start. Before we get to chapter 20 of Matthew, that's where we're going to be most of the time, I, I thought it was really um, wise of us to actually look a chapter before. Because sometimes when you're reading the parables, you're reading anything in the Bible, you need to understand the context within its, with, with which it's in to understand what Jesus or our disciples, whoever's communicating, how they were communicating that. Okay? For instance, this parable, sometimes individuals take it and use it to talk about grace and, and the goodness of God and the different times we've had over history for us to tell people about Jesus. Okay, I'll explain that a little bit more. But I don't think it means quite that all the way. So we have to really dig into the scriptures, and that's where we're going to read chapter 19, to communicate what Jesus was talking about prior to that chapter so that it'll help us understand what he's talking about in that parable. So let's do this. In the beginning of chapter 19, Jesus um, has the Pharisees come to him, and they ask Jesus about divorce. They're challenging him on, here's what Moses said, 
And what does that mean? And what do you say? And, and Jesus explains that to him. It's not super important for chapter 20. I just wanted to put it in the outline. The second is the children come to Jesus. We've all heard the story, right? Of the children coming to Jesus. The disciples are starting to push them away. And Jesus says, do not keep the children from coming to me. For such is the kingdom of God, right? For such is the kingdom of God. And, and what I see there is this, we see in children, right, this, um, this trust, this beautiful trust and this, this honesty that comes with them, right? They, they're not gonna hold back what they, what they think. They just speak it. They speak the truth. They trust you. I know my little son Hudson, right? No, there's probably hardly anything daddy can do wrong, right? Because he's young enough to not understand some things. And it's just like, I trust you, dad. I trust you, mom. I love you. There's just this innocence and this trust that they have in, in us. And I, I believe that's what God wants us to have in him, this trust, this unfailing trust and honesty with him. Then Jesus has a rich young ruler come to him, and he asks this question, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And I love Jesus' answer. This is what he starts off first. In Matthew 19, verse 17, why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. I love that statement because it puts very clearly there the statement that there is only one good. No matter how good we may think we are, there is only one who's good, and that's God. We have all sinned. We are all sinners. Even though we may do good things compared to God, we're not good, right? And so Jesus makes that statement really clear there. And then the young man says, well, hey, yeah, I've kept all the commandments. So then Jesus continues, Matthew 19, 21. If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus continues on and he warns the disciple after that encounter with that young man. And he says, he says that you have to be careful because the rich may have a problem entering the kingdom of heaven. Now, if if, if God's blessed you with a lot, a lot, hold on a second, let me get here, okay? Because there's, there's some important facts that we have to understand here, right? Jesus uses the eye of a needle. He explains to the disciples what, what an eye of a needle those days was called. I, I forgot to include the picture, but there's a little door that used to be in the walls, probably about three foot high, roughly about three foot wide, roughly. It was tiny, right? That's what he's talking about, the eye of a needle. It was a small little door in the wall that a camel more than likely couldn't fit through. They'd have to rip all of the saddles off. They'd have to rip um, the, the, um, the, uh, the bags off them. And maybe, just maybe, if you had enough guys and had enough grease, you might be able to get the, the camel through it, right? Maybe, maybe. That's what Jesus is explaining here, that the difficulty that we put in money, our heart, the heart of the matter, Jesus warned us, right? The love of money is the root of all evil, right? So that love can keep us from the kingdom of God. We have to be careful there. And so Jesus warns them. And, and it's kind of interesting because the disciples then ask this question, who then can be saved? Who, can, who then can be saved? If, if, if they can't enter heaven, how can we get to heaven? And Jesus answers this, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. That's, that's a phrase. How many of you guys have used that before? And I know my mom and, and in my house, we've used that phrase a lot. That With man, that is impossible. 
But with God, all things are possible. Especially that last part. We'll use that a lot, right, in our lives. And I love that because Jesus really paints it out clear there that it's not so much the matter of what we have and what resources we have. It's who we have on our behalf. If we have Jesus, right, he softens our heart. He manipulates our heart in a good way to love him. And what we have then is a blessing from him to give. So here's what the disciples continue to ask as well. In Matthew 19, 27, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Now, the disciples are here, right? They've heard um, Jesus address the rich young ruler, right? They've heard Jesus say, hey, with man, that's impossible. With God, all things are possible. And then they're going like, wait a second, man, we've left everything. We left our families. We left our jobs. We've left everything to follow you. What is in it for us, man? You owe us, right? What is going to be in it for us? And it's interesting because Jesus does answer here what, what he's going to um, provide for them, right? It's that they've been chosen, that the disciples of the 12, there'll be 12 thrones for them, and they'll get to judge the tribes of Israel, right? And that all who have sacrificed, for all of us who have said yes to Jesus, that they, we will inherit eternal life, and that Jesus closes with this, Matthew 19, 30. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Right? And we'll see that play out in this next parable. That the last, first will be last, and the last will be first. Now, it's kind of heavy, right? A little bit heavy, right? There's a lot that Jesus deals with before we get to chapter 20 here. But it's important as we read this to understand the context. That Jesus is leading up to this parable. Not just telling the parable and letting it lie, but he's leading up to this and, and what this means. And I, and I love what it means, but let's read this first. Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 1, we're going to go to verse 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour. And the ninth hour he did the same. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, these last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. Again, here, Matthew places that again in the spot. See, again, the thing of the matter is, and we see this here in the workers in the field, is that we like things to be fair until it's not fair for us, right? Until it's not 
fair for us. Let's explain a few things to you. So in those days, biblical days, a worker typically worked 12 hours a day from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Pastor Chase last week talked about the talents, right? He had a big bag of talents, which was about 10,000 denarii. They agreed to work for one denarii um, a, a day, one denarii for that day to a day's wage to um, go out into the vineyard and do what the landowner had asked for them. So what do we have in this parable? We have a couple things. Here's some, the elements we have. We have the landowner, we have the workers, we have the vineyard, and we have the wage. We also have five times, right? Five times they go out. Now, based on a 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. day, here's roughly when they went out. 6 a.m., early morning, 9 a.m., mid-morning, the third hour, 12 p.m., lunchtime, the sixth hour, 3 p.m., mid-afternoon, the ninth hour, and then 5 p.m., late afternoon, the 11th hour, okay? Now, I, I mentioned a little bit earlier how sometimes, and those times, um, sometimes we, we look at that scripture and some people have preached that that's the times throughout history that Jesus has given us opportunity to come to him, right? Even that 11th hour, right? Jesus still gives us the opportunity to, to receive that grace. But I don't think that's quite what this parable is talking about. This parable is talking about something different. And the one thing it's not talking about is socialism, okay? So it's not talking about that either, right? It's not talking about that either, the equal pay for non-equal work. We're not talking about that. It's just talking about something that I think is extremely important that I think we miss sometimes. See, like the company I mentioned as well, Gravity Payments, right? Doing those raises was a good thing. He's trying to bring everybody up to have a, a wage that was livable in the community, but it also created tension there in the corporation. He did a good thing. He tried to allow for his employees the opportunity to have the various things um, without having to work another job or to struggle to do those things. But it has its faults, right? We, as humanity, have our faults. But I think what really this parable is about, it also leads back into chapter 19. It's about what Jesus and his kingdom is all about. First, you have the children in Matthew chapter 19 and 14. It's about us coming to him, trusting him for everything. No matter what we may or may not have, putting our full and entire trust into our King, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus. Just like the children put them into Jesus. Just like our children put that into us. It's not for the rich or for those that, that I would say are flagrant with their money. It's for those who under grace are able to be humble and to use those resources God has blessed them with to bless others and to be a, a blessing. And then it's also in Matthew 19, 30, for those who follow, those who said yes to Jesus and disregarding the, the, maybe the risk that comes with that as they follow Christ and maybe even suffer, maybe even suffer for the name of Christ. See, entry into God's kingdom is not gained by our work or action, but by the generosity of God. By the generosity of God. There's nothing we can do to work our way into heaven. Now, faith inspires good works, but my works can't earn me a spot in heaven because God gave it to me freely in his grace, right? He gave that to me already. 
And I think once we understand that the parable to be about God's generosity in the kingdom of God, we may still ask how it applies to our work. If you are being paid fairly, the advice about being content with your wage may stand. If another worker receives an unexpected benefit, wouldn't it be graceful to rejoice rather than grumble? How hard is that? Maybe you've been doing the same job for two years and they receive the promotion and you don't. How hard is it for you then to give grace and to rejoice with them rather than grumbling? It also builds a beautiful image of God's generosity as he, being the landowner, is able to provide all the workers what they need for them and their families for that day. Remember, a denarius a day feeds the family. It fed the individual, right, for that day. So throughout that day, no matter how long they worked, the landowner was being generous in that he gave everyone the same wage. Remember, the early guys, they agreed to that one wage, right? They had really no right to argue. They just assumed that they deserved more. They just thought that since they had put in the whole day's work and that they received one, that they were due more. But they had already agreed to one, and that one was enough. It was enough for them that day to provide for them that day and that night for food, right? But in our humanity, we go to Best Buy and we look at a 60-inch TV that's OLED and it's gorgeous and my PS5 would look awesome on it, right? Or that new movie would look great and then there's the 85-inch right next door and we're like, but it's only $1,000 more. I can do that, right? I deserve that. I worked hard for that money, right? That's what we do. Or worse yet, my neighbor got the 70 and I've got to do better than he did, right? We begin to put ourselves and compare ourselves to other people, just like the workers did. We begin to feel like we deserve something more than what they received because we did more work. We spent more time. We gave more of our effort. But that's not entirely right because we will never be content if our, your intent is focusing on others. If we're constantly comparing ourselves to others, we will never be content. And we see this a lot. I wrestle with this. There's always, especially when it comes to tech gadgets, I'm a, I'm a gadget geek, man, right? And it's like Kickstarter campaigns galore. And it's like, you can hop on it for $99. It's going to be 1000 right? And it's like, you want to be the early adopter. You want to hop in. You want to say, look what I got to try out. Look what I did, right? So tempting. But we'll never be content if our intent is focusing on others. And I thought, like, man, man what do we do with this? What do we... Where do we go with this, right? Where, where do we hand, take this and, and how do we uh, implement it in our own lives? How do we uh, play it out and, and see others blessed by it? And, and I think we do it this way and there's seven things they come up with. And I think the first one's this, that we have to recognize that God does not owe us anything. Ever. Period. Doesn't matter what we've been through, what we've gone through, 
God does not owe us anything. Because number two, God has done enough for us already. Matter of fact, he's done immeasurably more than we could ever think or ask, right? There's nothing we could ever do to repay him for what he's done for us. Number three, that God's blessings are not contingent upon how hard we work, but only on the goodness of God. See, his grace, unmerited favor, is given freely to us each and every day, right? You read the Psalms and his mercies are new every morning. Every morning is a new day. Every morning we have the opportunity to come to God and say, God, forgive me. Whatever I did maybe yesterday, even those things I don't even know about, God, please forgive me and I receive your mercies today. Number four, never look down on anyone. Sometimes this is hard because they don't, fit our mold. They don't look like us. They don't talk like us, right? Maybe they're in a different place. We, we have a hard time connecting. And so instead of trying, we just disregard them, right? Or maybe not even look down, but we just ignore them, right? Isak, you shared about how it was hard to talk to that guy, right? And it was a little bit of fear, but the guy opened the door, right? And you walked in that door and he had an awesome opportunity to share with him what you've experienced through God. A lot of times is it's just a simple hello or hi, and that opens the door for God to be able to do his work. I think about the thief on the cross, right? Everybody else knew him as a sinner. Everybody else knew what he had done. But while one mocked Jesus, the other said, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Hanging, dying on a cross, breathing his last breaths. Jesus didn't look at the person. He looked at the request and said, hey, no matter what you've done, it's okay. Because the day you'll be with me. We need to have that same heart and attitude. And no matter who we encounter, they deserve God's love just like I do. Number five, when we covet others, resentment towards God begins to kick in. We've got to kick that to the curb. We've got to resist the devil, right? Don't let resentment creep in because it ruins our heart. It ruins our mind as we just resent others for the, the good things that happen to them in life. Celebrate with them. And if it's hard, start small. Great job. Walk away. Next time, man, that was a really good job. And I guarantee you, as you start to give more praise and as you start to celebrate, it is contagious because then people will start to do the same to you. They'll begin to share that with you as well. Celebrate with those around you. Don't resent them for what they have. Number six, don't always look to what we can get, but what we can give. Think about the time I was in the uh, drive-thru at McDonald's, right? And I wasn't expecting this uh, at all. And I drove up to the window and the cash, cashier said, hey, you're, I was about to hand my money. And she, she goes, don't worry about it. The person in front of you paid. Right? It's a small little thing. But I'm like, what? I'm like, who is that? Do I, do I know? Was it, was it like a friend? Was it? I never knew. But just somebody out of the blue paid for my meal. It's a small little thing. A small little token of appreciation, of gratefulness. And I love what uh, 
and there's a comedian, Christian comedian, his name just escaped me. Um, but he, he, I love what he said. He said, sometimes when that happens to you, sometimes it's important for you just to receive it because you're struggling with God's goodness in your life anyways. And sometimes you need to pass it on and give again. Maybe take your money and say, hey, I'm gonna pay for the next person behind me. Pass it on, right? Bless them because you've been blessed by another. And then number seven, be thankful for the time you have. Be thankful for the time you have. There's a couple families in Washington a couple weeks ago that lost some loved ones, right? We never know the day or the hour that we may not be here. We're not promised tomorrow at all. So we need to be thankful for what we have today and the time that we have had. It also leads us to also make sure that our hearts and our minds are right with God because we're never guaranteed that. He gives us his grace freely. His goodness is each and every day. And he loves us so much. They died on the cross for our sins. Not for his, but for yours and for mine. And for your neighbors and the coworker you don't like. Right? For a neighbor that keeps nitpicking your yard. Right? Because you can't keep it cut the right way. Maybe for your spouse you're having a problem with. Maybe your son or your daughter. God loves them just as much as he loves you. And as God has been so good to us, help us. God help us to give that goodness to them. The world's in such a dark place anyways. We need some goodness, don't we? And Jesus has given that to each of us. You guys got to share that in Denver, right? You got to share some of that goodness with people who are down and out. They're at the bottom of the pit, right? And they're struggling. But each day as we do our jobs and we do our tasks, oftentimes, and I'm guilty of this, we're so consumed with our world that we forget about everybody else's world around us. And man, God help us to share this goodness that you show and this landowner providing each one with the meals they needed for that day. Not what they wanted, right? Not what they felt they deserved, but what they needed. God, help us to take that and to bless others. To bless them, God, with what you've given us with. And to always be thankful for what we have. Proverbs 22, 9 says this. Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed. For he shares his bread with the poor. God, let us be a people who are never so greedy and so held up in what we have that we get so bogged down in consuming more and more to be like those around us. God, help us to give. To give faithfully in what we have. To give faithfully in what you've allowed us to steward for you on this earth. Amen. 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 Let's bow our heads and pray and we'll sing this song together. God, I just thank you for your grace and your goodness. 
And Lord, I do. I want to give anyone in the room or online an opportunity, God, if maybe they've wandered from you or maybe they've never even said yes to you, God, that your mercies are new each morning. God, the grace that you give is free. There's not a thing we can do for it. All we have to do is ask. That's all you ask of us is to ask and then to follow after you. And God, you do the rest. There's not a person in this room, not me, not anybody on this stage. There's not a person that can make them do anything. But God, you get in our heart. You get in our mind. And you rearrange it and restructure it and change it. And as we read your word, God, you change us from the inside in, out. You change us and mold us and shape us. God, to do unto others as you have them doing to us. God, to, to be the goodness in their lives, to share the light that you've given us with them. And as they, God, learn about you, that they get to see in you a hope and a future. So God, for those that maybe haven't said yes, God, let them say yes to you. For those today that are in the room that maybe you've just been struggling, maybe it's an addiction, maybe it's just resentment, maybe it's you're unhappy or there's just something wrong in your life and you just need freedom for, from it. You just need the goodness of God to just show up in your life. And I just pray today in the name of Jesus that that goodness would come in, that there would be joy, unspeakable joy in their life, God, that they would begin to sense a renewed uh, spirit in them, a, a, a new life, a new hope, God, a new purpose that you are with them, not just a feeling, God, but a confidence, a knowing that they are gonna walk today and tomorrow and the next day with you by their side. And Lord, for all of us who have maybe struggled with keeping up with the Joneses or God, trying to always be fair, God, help us to celebrate with others, to celebrate their victories and to see their happiness not to resent it, but God, to rejoice with them. God, I thank you for your love and your mercy, God, and your grace, because without it, we'd be nowhere. We'd be stuck. You're a good God. And we thank you for all that you've done. We give you all the praise and glory. Amen.